Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry. And oh, gosh, it's a delight to be speaking with our guest today, all the way from Peru. His name is Franco Mosso. And today we're going to explore Education Transformed, which has been the focus of this season. And Franco is fantastic because he's actually the founder of Enseña Peru, which is Teach for Peru. Uh, he has a wonderful career. Um, and as you'll soon hear, I think a terrific philosophy on how education can activate agency in young people and also be a transformative force in the world. Franco, es un placer tenerte acá. It's fantastic <laughs> to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Muchas gracias. Uh, thank you so much, Luca. Take the time to, you know, to dream about, uh, about a new future of education. Right. Fantastic. And, you know, ever since we met in Salzburg, I think it was a couple of years ago now, you know, it's been great to connect with you on numerous occasions and hear what you're up to there in Peru. My first question to you, which is a common one on this podcast, is what's something yeah. you're learning? What's something you're learning right now, Franco, that's kind of taking your interest? I'd say that um, the biggest learning right now has some keywords, students, agency, uh, being one of them. Yes. Uh, transforming systems and and can I share about how, how this ties together through something I'm reading? Please. Uh, really yeah, briefly. I'm reading, I'm reading one of the latest books uh, of Todd Rose. Yes. Um, that is called Dark Horse. Um, and it speaks about how we're transitioning from the age of standardization to the age of personalization, mm. the science of the individual. Yeah. And... I was stuck with, with part of the story that at some point before the 20th century, around 1890, um, there were people that were trying to solve a problem that requires standardization. That medicines, for example, you would go to, to buy some medicine and you would get different qualities, right? From the same yeah. product. Yeah. Um, and then humanity, you know, worked uh, along, you know, the, the currents of industrialization. Hmm. to standardize products. And then someone thought that that same process could be applied to human beings. That a, a, was born, you know, part of the basis of, of the modern education system hmm. in which uh, students uh, played a certain role uh, with a certain expectation of, you know, I'll, I'll be colloquial, like, have expectation of being in a classroom and be quiet yeah. and do what they're told, yeah. right? And and we have the we have that uh, that part of our story uh, a couple of hundred years in already. And so I think that my biggest learning is around what I consider one of the one of the for me one of the most exciting trends in educational change, which is the transferal of power in learning from adults to students. Mm. Um, I find that to be a fascinating idea. Yes. I perhaps did not live it uh, uh -huh. in my first, let's say, three decades of my life. Um, I didn't live it. Uh, I started living it as an adult, you know, taking charge. And I wondered, you know, what if kids felt that um, their societies uh, respect them to a degree that, that they can make uh, you know, uh, more numerous choices around 
why they want to learn and, and how, when, and with whom. Beautiful, Franco. Oh, so many great threads there. Uh, not not least of all, how wonderful Todd, Rode is, Todd Rose is. Um, I commend him to all the listeners, actually. He was previously at Project Zero at Harvard. Um, wonderful educationalist. And he wrote The End of Average as well, which is a great book. Um, yes. Frank, well, let's stay on this piece on agency, right? Agency young people. Because as you've reflected, for many of us, it's kind of like we wake up one day and we go, oh, oh this is my life. I need, I can take charge of it. I can create things and build things and and I mean, it, um, it strikes me that a lot of that's unlearning. So when we when we talk about education transformed, give us a sense of what that means to you through the lens of agency and youth empowerment. And then, of course, I would love you to talk to some of the projects that you're leading across Peru with these young people as well, and kind of the generation of change agents and Malalas that you're you're kind of supporting. <laughs> Great. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll land there, of, of course. But I, I've been thinking a lot about that question about what, how does it look, a system, let's take a Peruvian system. The Peruvian system has 200 districts, right? Yeah. And in each district, there are educational authorities, there are people, institutions. In each district, there are about, let's say, twenty to 30,000 students. And maybe I can say a few characteristics of how that is not present today. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so many countries, they signed the Declaration of, of, of you know, Children's Rights right the child. Uh, yeah. a, a few years ago. And it actually is written that, that they have the right to be consulted and heard regarding issues that pertain to them, right? Their health, their education, et cetera. But when I see educational systems across the world, and of course, Peru is no exception, um, a question that I ask myself is, okay, so what are what are the institutions, both formal and informal, that are designed to honor that agreement, to listen to students? Mm-hmm. Now, at a, at a micro level, let's say, at the level of the school, at a meso level of the level of the district, or at a national level. Um, and I find there that there is room for improvement mm-hmm. because I think that we have, I'll, I'll share some of the anecdotes that, that, that my students, I, have, I, have, I, I speak to students, as you know, every single day without exception uh, from across our country, mainly teenagers that are trying to create changes in their own communities and, and nationwide. And when we think about a school, for example, we have school representatives. We have uh, like like the student representative, right? Yeah. These are kinds of institutions that we have learned to build. Uh, they are formal and they um, some of my students, they say that that they might not be serving the purpose that we want, right? I've heard stories where uh, the absence of mechanisms at the school level or at the district level to actually gather information from students about how they feel yes, um, of what is going well, of what is you know, going not very well, perhaps, in, yeah. in, in education. Yeah. And so... That's, for example, the first trade. I will yeah. dream of districts and national systems that have placed uh, in new institutions uh, through which we can systematically and openly uh, listen to students and take into account their input. That's perhaps that's a very basic thing. It's mm-hmm. it is achievable, very achievable. 
Mm. Uh, it's more about the mindset, about what, what we believe about those opinions. Absolutely. And then I there's feel- a second trait. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, Frank, I feel like you're being so diplomatic, and maybe you need to be. <laughs> but I feel like this, this, um, you know, the, the lack of mechanisms to support students. I mean, I think in our work all over the world, students are, are silenced, not because teachers are deliberately doing that, but because that's kind of been a system feature for so long, this kind of pacificity of transfer of knowledge, of instruction, as opposed to co-design and kind of, you know, inquiry and, yes, explicit um, instruction at times. But, yeah, there's something I, I feel, you know, the provocation is always you look at the different industries that have shifted and yet we are still mired in the efficiency paradigm of standardization. Because that is at the core, as you opened with, of the kind of modern education systems. But, but yeah, keep going, keep going. I was just, I was just reflecting on. Um, I think what you say is very true. It's a learned habit. Yeah. That was built like when you when you look at a system, right? You see the formalities and the informalities, right? And so, when I see a school, the average school in my country, when I see the average district, in the formality. There are institutions that are supposed to be, you know, formally listening to students, but are perhaps not working quite adequately. Yeah, it's just it's just a structure, but the the substance is not really happening, right? Yes. And then there is this void of other kinds of features that you would want, maybe, right? Yes. Let's yes. say let's be very 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 specific um, of something that could happen tomorrow. Could a district? Tomorrow, in one of my one of the provinces in my country, launch uh, a new system of gathering data through Google Forms, whatever. Yeah. And just work with the with school principals and communities to gather the information about what students think of this class. Of course, of course, they could do it tomorrow. No. Um, and so I think that's a first feature. That is is yet it is for me like a basic feature of transformation. Yeah. One, some, some people would say that that is, um, if we make it concrete enough, is uh, uh, an advocacy goal mm. for some, no? To make the current institutions work for listening to student voices or to create others that we do not yet know mm. how they will look, right? But they serve the same purpose of students feeling heard of their opinions. You know, you, you mentioned other sectors. I've heard more than once that while other sectors are moving into the user-driven yeah. logic, yeah, right? Uh, education is falling behind, right? Because paradoxically, being one of the one of the most important sectors in every country, the most numerous sectors, Demon. right? Yeah. Uh, it's still not the most used to listening to its users. Yes. Uh, by far, no? And then I think there is another cape. Yeah. I think there is another cape in terms of the potential of leadership in terms of the outcomes, no, um, of a system to transform a system. A, a, um, one of the biggest learnings was how do we interpret the current outcomes in light of the, what humanity needs, right? Mm-hmm. And part of the transformation of the system would be of, of an educational system would be to really have a really honest conversation about what we're really driving towards right now, and then observe that. And say, well, what should be driving towards? And does that entail a different, a different kind of outcome? No. So when I talk to my students, um, 
if you would look at, at uh, most educational systems, I think they're driving towards fundamental skills. Yeah. Uh, de facto, let's say, right? Um, in Peru, the number one, you know, measure of success is students that are able to read by age this and this, the yeah. students are able to solve mathematical problems. And that says something about what, what, how we view students mm. during their time from childhood to adolescence. The very existence of that measure and those measures, you know, they were invented close to 70 years ago yeah. in a time where we had very different technology and in an effort to to gather the data that would allow us to, to learn from countries, right? But now we have another 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 field regarding technology, right? Um, and I wonder if there are other kinds of outcomes that would, by their very existence, reframe yeah. what we think about the potential of students. I've heard phrases like, you've probably heard these phrases, students are the, the future, no? Uh, that says something, right? Yeah. Uh, for my students, for example, they always tell me there is a phrase in Peru, I don't know if in other countries, but there's a phrase that says, uh, para que seas alguien en la vida, which means so that you can be someone. Yeah. One of my students said, you know, I started thinking, what, am I not someone today? Exactamente. Uh, uh, what yeah. does that mean about what society thinks about me and my potential today? No? Uh, yes. yes. And I think that that questioning of what are we driving for in the educational system? Not to say that, not to say that reading comprehension, of course, is important. It's, it's transversal, right? We, okay. we need to to move to to move. But you know, in from three years old to seventeen years old, you approximately spend eighteen thousand hours in school of your life. Uh, so what's that for, right? Uh, by the end of those eighteen thousand hours what are we aiming for as a society? No? Mm. And in, in some of us, in some of our societies, uh, when I talk to my students and I, and I share with them at the end of their schooling year, at the end of the K to 12, right, spectrum, yeah. what are you hearing? Huh? What are you hearing from, from all the adults around you? I tell them around, what's the next step? What does it mean for your life? And they tell me, most of them, that what is repeated from all fronts, no, is money, Mm -hmm. need to get some money uh, uh you need to think about your career and in the most difficult cases for students uh, adults prescribe with what they know no uh, very specific careers yeah and 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 then students are receiving this enormous amount of pressure uh from around them and uh and that I think it reflects, and it, you know, and, and there is another report that that, that put it beautifully um, about system change from the team of Land Pritchett, uh -huh. um, and said, you know, what if what if society could tell their students and for students to go out of schooling, knowing that the reason why they they were educated was to be a good family member, that yeah. education would weigh on that part of our lives, no. That education would weigh on being a community member, on helping your country and the world be better. Yes. And yes, of course, to join uh, the economic uh, system, right? But so many students are not listening. The first three things that I said are completely absent, no? And so they 
you know, they study, they study, they study. The last years, it's like, I got to get this exam. I got to get some money, et cetera. Mm. And, and then that marks, you know, I, 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 I see that that marks maybe the next decade or the next two decades. Yes. And so by the time sometimes that they are parents, let's say, if we take that example, so many students do not process that maybe back, back in the day when they were in school, it might have been a great moment to learn the tools that you need also to be a parent or also to be a son or also to be a brother or also to be a great citizen, right? Mm -hmm. And so it seems to get more narrow and more narrow and more narrow and more narrow, you know? And, and with this logic, students might miss a lot of opportunities to, 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 to become, you know, not only the best worker that they can, but, but yeah. the best version of human being, you know, the best version of their own life. Uh, in those many aspects. Oh, Franco, there's so much to pack. I I really feel like this bit on, you know, learned habits, as you said before. You know, this, mm. this idea that, and, and actually, you know, Professor Martin Seligman from UPenn talks about learned helplessness. And actually, in some ways, that if we're not careful, because we've inherited these legacy systems, and it's not our fault we've inherited them, but of course it's our responsibility now to do something with them, those of us that are in positions of influence as educators, as leaders. Um, I really feel that, yeah, but yeah, if it's like it's this idea that it takes such a long time to realize your agency, to be in to, to because it's so contrary to the existing system. Um that of course is changing and people are leading shifts all over the world, including you in Peru, quite notably. The other piece I, I really think about is um, our colleagues at Big Change who are going to be on this podcast actually in the coming weeks. And they talk about the three Ps, you know, with their the transformers. I love it because really what you've been talking through, I've had the frame of that in my head as you've spoken, you know, between repurposing, what's the purpose of education, right? How do you shift power within education? So the elevation of the users, you know, the clients, the beneficiaries, the, the the students themselves. And then also, you know, the elevation of the educators within the system frame so that you have educator voices that are agentic. And then, of course, practice, you know, the purpose, power, practice, kind mm. of three-part piece on, you know, and then, you know, how do you let innovative practice uh, spread and be enabled? Mm. Um, I'm, really, mm. I'm really taken by that because I think everything you've said is so... It's so accurate. I mean, imagine, like, what is education for? What's, what is our school for? Should be the first question. Whenever you're doing any strategy, it's like, why, why do we exist? And I think to your other point, I mean, I sometimes provoke, you can imagine, Franco, and, um, you know, ask interesting questions of educators and leaders. And one is, okay, so let's say tomorrow school's optional. How many of your students turn up to <laughs> You know, because it's your point, like all these other industries have become user-centered, largely because the user has decision-making power, right? <laughs> In schools, we've just mandated it for very good reasons. Education is a right. Um, and there's also responsibility within that, you know? And so I've, and the responsibility is not just on the learners themselves, on the students to form themselves to the system. It's for the system to actually welcome the student as they are and see them for who they could be. And I think that piece on, like, as they are, the seen, heard, and valued, I mean, that's, if you feel unseen, you're not definitely not going to be learning optimally, right? So this is such a bad, and even like exit tickets, some of the pieces you're talking about, how do you even just get a district in for one of the 200 
just to start experimenting with that. And of course, one district does it. And then all of a sudden you have 10 districts. And then all of a sudden you've got this system transformation spread from such a simple practice like that. Um, mm. What do you see? I'd, I'd love you to talk about, you know, the work you're leading because we've oh, had right. a conversation before this. I mean, really tell us that because in some ways it's like we can start, you can do top down, do middle out, as Michael Fullen would say, but you can also do bottom up and all those things kind of mm. need to happen spontaneously. Mm. So I feel mm. like what's happening with your, really the student young people led work, take us into that world, really give us a sense for those of us not in Peru, the lovely country it is, mm-hmm. around what, what's going on there. Great. Yeah, that's that's what, what, what's keeping me, you know, uh, not sleeping, but for the right reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. It, gets really, it keeps you up. <laughs> it keeps me up because I'm like, okay, let, their, let the next day come, right, that's so uh, to continue on this work. Wonderful. Feel fortunate about it. And so uh, the idea is the following. Uh, being education a social issue, right, and in Senior Peru, being an organization in which in which mission we talk about a social movement, right? Um, uh, I I usually ask a a, a question a, a, a reflective question when I try to explain why we do this, and is would it make sense to you that the women's rights movement be led by men, right? Uh, and and to this day is so obvious. No, people laugh usually. People you know, smile a little bit because it's too obvious, right? The answer. And yet, social movements for education not being led by student voices for so many people, you know, that are trying to honestly do educational changes, not so obvious. Mm. Um, and it, that is at the heart of what we, of what we, the reason why we did this. No, we said we are a group of adults. Yeah. Uh, in the first stage, let's say the first years of Enseña Peru, are trying to really honestly uh, uh, put, you know, our efforts to educational change. Um, but we're no longer in the classrooms. And so the, the right of education or, or lack thereof of, of, the, of the level of excellence that, that our students deserve, we, we, we have a, a, an ever... It, you know, a, a, a never going away window from yeah. what it really means, right? Yeah. And the people who are actually, you know, tasting every day uh, the do's and don'ts of having a great right to education are the students themselves. Yeah. And yet, when you combine that with the learned habit, right, of the system to not listen to students, we have a we have a problem. We have a a social movement in the world, right? I'm not talking only about Peru. Yes. A social movement of human beings. You know, if, if we were a cohort of humanity right now, we're all a cohort, right? Uh, that, are, that, that, that we just happen to live together in this time. Uh, and if a person from, a, from, you know, from far from the air would say, how are these, these species handling this problem, right? And they have a story of social change that has been led by the people who actually suffer the right of education or lack thereof. And what's happening in education? No, and that 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 seems to be uh, a worthwhile uh, piece of the design of ours of our humanity solution to how we're tackling the problem. The inclusion, not the inclusion, just the um, to to adapt humanity, to adapt ourselves, yes. so that students have the meaningful contribution that we speak about in the papers 
in the agreements, in the constitutions, yeah. yes. Yes. for that to actually happen, right? And um, we've seen examples of that. Uh, we, we, we spoke about Malala, for example, who is, you know, started her, her path um, at the age of 12, right? Uh, and, and, you know, many students in many courses across the world that actually impact their lives. Mm. And so the idea was, what if, what if we, uh, first it was an assumption, what if we assume that there are thousands of Peruvian Malalas already living in Peru, mm. aged 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that they are already there. Yeah. Peru doesn't know them, right? Uh, but they're there either already making changes or with an idea, mind, heart, but not finding, because of everything that we spoke about, not finding the conditions to, to you know, to to give their their own their own effort, right? Mm. What if we change that? What if we helped as allies of youth for our country, for Peru, to have an undeniable force of youth leadership that they're all, I'll be colloquial, sort of not asking for permission yeah. to be great to create change, to create voice. And thus was born our national uh, student leadership system. Right. And um, I'll give it with an example. Sure, sure. Uh, one of our students, because there are hundreds of them by this time in the last 15 months, but because it turns out that the hypothesis is real. That so there are thousands of students. <laughs> uh, right. And so Iris, Iris is one of my students. Uh, we met, Enseña Peru met Iris, and Iris met Enseña Peru when she was 14 years old. She lives in the Amazon, one of the 25 regions in Peru. Wow. And so when, when she tells me about this, uh, she was going to public school, 14 years old, this means she was in third, uh, like the, what would be, I think, the 10th grade, something like that. Mm -hmm. Last three years of school. And um, she was scrolling through her social networks and then appeared a flyer in a, in a form saying, hey, do you, you have ideas? you want to make Peru better in any way? Mm -hmm. This is a program of leadership for students of your age. Mm -hmm. And so Iris goes in to this program. She applies, yep. says the reason why she wants to be there, goes into the program. This is the first stage. We call it the short program, seven-week program, virtual. Why right. virtual? Because uh, in, in our country, uh, as in many countries, there is an enormous cultural difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we have 47 official languages, uh, na native languages besides Espanol, wow. right? Uh, so many richness, and we have an incredibly rich uh, culture before we were colonized, right? All the incredible cultures. Everybody usually knows only the Incas, yeah. but there are so many more, no? And some of our students, they live where, where all of these cultures were, right? And they grew up with this incredible cultural background. And so um, Iris goes in from the Amazon, goes to this space of leadership where she starts hearing that she doesn't need to wait to finish university or get a job to create great things for her country. She starts saying, hey, there is another teenager, you know, that wants the same as me, but in Cusco and in Ancash and in Lima and in Tacna. And so she spent seven weeks with them in, in, in the first stage of our system, which is a curriculum that was designed by a student 
by an 18 year old uh-huh. uh, because it has to be no Hopefully, yeah, of course. yeah you transfer the power right that's this the, the second pill of the big story yeah um of, of big change uh, and they learn about self-knowledge and purpose uh then they learn about the inequities that exist in the world and they go deep into that and talk about history and how we were colonized the dynamics of power we we, we go you know we, we call it sin anesthesia no without anesthesia yeah. but kindly no yeah. like we we talk about the issues that they want to talk and then the third part of this seven week curriculum yes uh is um it's called collective leadership and and it invites uh groups of students from different cultural backgrounds from different regions that might otherwise not have joined forces mm. to start uh thinking about what they could do and so it is goes through all of this and every session is you know geared towards having a, a transcendental experience it's a mixture of reflection deep reflection community feeling welcome feeling heard feeling seen feeling taken into consideration uh, uh where adults have you know very little protagonism mm. actually the program is always led by an 18 or 19 year old that's and, so great you know it, it uh and so it is goes out of this program the first stage yeah uh and she goes with a wider network with an awareness of what's going on yes. ideas and strength so that's the first of agency like that hundreds up to you know in the 15 months that we've done that we do it four times a year yep. already 700 students have gone through that and kind that's... of journey from wow. every corner of our country so we have discovered uh yeah thousands are applying you know we have discovered let's say 700 malalas Shit. uh in peru right uh yeah. there are then what we have gathered so far is that only with that stage we have detected over 20 student organizations being born and then multiplying the impact. Uh-huh. So now we have people like, like young CEOs of student organizations that are creating change across the country in so many different ways. And then Iris was one of them, right? She was co-founder of an organization that is called Wake Up Now, mm-hmm. beautiful organization, a, a shout out to them, mm-hmm. that like in the next month of that first stage of the short program, was impacting already close to 70 students doing programs around the sustainable development goals. Uh, and their mission is to ignite the spark in students who have lost it. Wow. Uh, that's that's their mission. That's one of the organizations. And then Iris, what did what what she did was she came back to the program. She became like a, like an older sister. And so in the next cohort, she became a student guide uh-huh. for the next editions of the program. Then comes the second phase. I send an email to all of them and I say, you know, if you have fallen in love with education and you feel that the next coming years, it might be part of your purpose, as if yours and mine, right? We've made education part of our lives, yeah, uh, part of our purposes. But I ask that to a 14-year-old, to a 15-year-old, to a 16-year-old that has gone through our short program. Then apply to our one-year student activist program. That's right. phase two, let's say. Yeah, cool. And so Iris applied. And the design of that program is an ex- a pretty extreme version of giving power to the students. Uh, why? Uh, only for five to six weeks, they, re- they receive a very flexible uh, uh, professional development mm-hmm. uh, where they learn about project management, 
uh, agile methodologies, uh, you know, creative writing, how to inspire, how to tell the story about the latest of the trends in technology and education, wow. what it, what is happening in the UN, gender education, etc. In six weeks, um, we, we 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 show them a, a toolbox. Uh, it's you know the, the design is is really world class. Uh, we work hard on it um, with our students themselves. Mm. Then at the same time during the during the first six weeks, they uh, they have access to flexible mentorship. So every fifteen students, they have a mentor, uh, uh, an adult ally that has access to networks and that has experience and that is is trained to you know a, be a, an extraordinary ally to to these teenagers that want to be change makers. And so during these six weeks, each of our each of our teenagers might have like let's say four to, to, to six mentorship sessions at the beginning. And then they prepare the star of the program, which is their portfolio. Right. So I asked what, what, what she did was during the first six weeks, she prepared a portfolio of input. What we asked of them is you will not grow in your leadership uh, in theory. You will create changes and you will impact the lives of, of, of people uh, through education during the next 10 months. Mm. And each of our students, they choose their own project. So we just show them the whole landscape of what you can do in education. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. You know, dyslexia, cybersecurity, social skills, everything. And they choose their own portfolio of three to four projects. Right. And so Iris did that. Received the training, gathered the portfolio, flexible mentorship, and then for the rest of the year, yeah. they grow through going to action. Um, and then Iris, you know, for example, one of the things that she did was she... Uh, connected with uh, with people in her community, with kids that sold uh, food in the streets. Wow. And she detected that she wanted to bring uh, financial education tools to them. She made an alliance with the municipality. She gathered a team, she designed a curriculum, uh, and she impacted a group of people uh, with better financial education tools and mothers as well, wow. uh, parents. And that was one, just one of the things that she did during the year. And like that, we have hundreds of students yeah, that are deciding what to do, and our program adapts to to them. The curriculum is their own projects. So by the end of the year, they become alumni yes. from Enseña Peru, and they've grown in courage, incredible. They've grown their ability to collaborate. Wow! And they can say when they look back that there is it is undeniable that it is today still in Amazonas, still yeah. creating change. Wow! Sixteen years old. Oh. But with a strength of purpose that nobody will take away from you. Oh, my goodness. And with actual action that nobody can deny mm. that part of her education was for her to become a change maker. Yes. A kind change maker yes. in her own way, in the way that moves her. Because we, we, I didn't tell her to do financial education. I just asked her, what moves you? You know, mm. And I'll be your ally in that. So we devise a system. Now she will go on as an alumni. And through this system, we have discovered, as I shared with you, hundreds of people yeah. like Iris uh, that are across the country. Um, and I think for me, I've said a couple of times publicly that for me, that is the closest thing that I see as the end game. Right. Because, you know, for me, Iris is a role model for, for my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, a person with purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, she addressed her family relations as well. She improved the quality of family relations in her life. She used the tools for that. She used the tools to find a purpose. Uh, 
she uses that life situation to know and act on the notion that there is value in her, uh, yeah. not only for herself, but for other people and for my country. Yes. And so I'm incredibly excited to have found this, this way of working where yeah. it's unbelievable. That is why I have so much hope in these days, because every single day I get to speak and witness and be an ally to hundreds of irises uh, across across our country. Yeah. Uh, actually, I just had a conversation before our meeting right now. I had yes. a conversation with another person, Jocelyn. Yeah. It's it just. It's it's. You know, I think with. Wow, Frank, I'm a bit stunned to be honest. Just kind of take you know thinking about um, Iris, um, and you know I'm kind of like. <sighs> That's the real purpose of education. You know, it's the lighting of a fire. It's not the filling of a bucket. And I just feel like this way of, and for me, it's like activating agency. The agency exists in each mm. of us, but it's kind of like a remembering of the agency. And some systems are so good at helping people forget. Um, I would even say some societies as well, right? And even some kind of, entities where you really you're just a passive consumer of content even you think about mm. some of the kind of extractive technologies that are in that space you know so it's like how do you be a creator in your world like what's you what's mm. your do is one of my favorite questions i'm reflecting on all the time franco and yesterday i spoke mm. with a couple hundred career advisors across south australia my home state and they really this question is like not what job do you want to do when you grow up it's really like what it's you said what moves you that's such a beautiful question what lights you up you know and then our role as educators is to create structures and vehicles where young people can expand into that and then of course mm. we what i mean oh, how education would transform you know if, if we allowed young people to really show what they're capable of you know i really think i, I think about all the time that because imagine if we spend those 18,000 hours in the lives of every student. Yeah. You know, like we're speaking about the day to day classes and experience and the speech of the principal. Maybe the speech at the beginning of the week shouldn't be even given by the principal, right? Yeah. These are the kinds of things that we run on automatic, yes. right? On automatic yeah. mode. And, yeah. and, and I think that part of our job is to, is to uh, do the personal work. Uh, because, because of course, one has to do a lot of personal work because I, I have lived and be and grown in that system, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I keep discovering my automatic ways of thinking. Yes. That are, that mirror the ones of, of the education system. And, yes. And keep finding more ways to to help the educational system. You know, I, I think you put it beautifully. What would it mean for for an educational system to spend those eighteen thousand hours, this, the lessons, the speech, the data gathering, etc., but all in line with student agency for the common good of humanity, as opposed to the students to the students' passiveness towards their own individuality and no one else matters, right? Mm -hmm. um, what how what 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 would that look like, right? Yes. Uh, and, and and let me tell you something. In every city in the world, there are students that have battled enough the system. And those are student leaders that sort of like they made it, but not because of how the system is designed, but in spite of, right? They fought and they fought and they fought and they fought. And there are students who found beautiful purposes, but 
in, you know, I was talking to a district yesterday in, in my country who wants to transform the whole district towards towards that. They, they we're actually doing exactly that. Right. Um, which was part of the dream. And I asked them, so how many students are, are there that fit this description, right? They think holistically about their lives, uh, not only about parts of their life, they found a purpose, et cetera. And, and it's like, with, you know, like only wow. with 10 fingers, right? Yeah. And this is a district where 5,000 students go to school in high wow. school, right? Wow. And so we're talking about an ambitious question that no individual program or intervention will be able to achieve, yeah. right? Uh, we're talking about a, that's why the question of purpose, I think is so important for me to be quite honest, the question of purpose was a little bit, uh, you know, how, what is this about, you know, yeah, in concrete terms. Uh, yeah. and I spent my journey as an educational leader in these 14 years, you know, uh, facing myself with that question. And then, and I think it fit when I started talking to the students and, and yeah. trying to say, what are they telling them? Yeah. What are they hearing? What are uh, they coming to understand about the purpose of their education, right? And so when I hear my students and say, Iris told me something very beautiful, you know, she 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 has done all the stages of us. She's still in school, in public yeah. school in Peru. Yeah. So she's done all the stages within school, right? Yeah. Um, well, and now sure. she's a formidable leader. I will. Let me say and this. She told me something. Huh? Uh, uh, let me say this. I, I think there's something about... Um, She's a formidable leader and she's finding her purpose because quite clearly you're a formidable leader and you found your purpose. That's, uh, there's no accident that that's the case, Franco. There's something about mm. being in, uh, you know, that's what young people can feel from an educator. If an educator feels like they are being supported, enabled and liberated by the system, that's, mm. going to, that's actually yeah. going to resonate with the class. So I, we only talk about student agency or I talk about it all the time. And I feel, I feel like it's actually, it's kind of system agency, it's human agency within the system. You know, it's like the liberation of the human beings, including the educators themselves that are trying to do the best they can, but kind of have got unconscious mental models operating for like, as we all do, and I kind of feel mm -hmm. kind of squeezed by the system instead of they can expand within it and be the fullest, biggest selves. And I think that's really yeah. what we need and want. But, um, may I, there's too many take-home messages, but so close this out for us. Um, and then I'd love you to say, like, what do you want to leave us with? You know, we've, mm. we've got this beautiful journey about transforming education and, and definitely into kind of Iris's journey and the projects that you're working on now, only 15 months in. And I, I can't wait for 15 years, Franco, and see, see what's we'll going on. And, you know, and again, it'd just be young people leading, leading the charge who are less young by then, you know, it's just... Fantastic. But um, yeah, what's it, what do you want to kind of have as your take home for our listeners here? I'd say that um, I would say my main takeaway is that it is within reach. Uh, so many people feel that this is this is such a super long term thing because of what ways in history of the design and i would say that i've learned that if we tackle the problem with different mindsets we talk about adult mindsets around power around purpose etc that's 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 key to it uh and if we can address this issue from a perspective of you know i'll tell you something else just that there are 
you know, perhaps millions, thousands at the very least of, of Peruvian Malalas in my country, I'll tell you something else. There are thousands of adults that are ready to be allies. Nice. Um, and I don't think that we are, you know, like showing our countries enough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. At scale, the power of those two forces combined. Yes. You know, of the Peruvian Malalas, there are thousands, and on the, you know, the, the, the best the, the best image would be the father of Malala, no? Yeah. Uh, that has been, a, has been an ally, a quiet ally, no? Uh, all along the way. And wow. you know that I do feel that it is within reach. Yes. I do feel that the role of adults is indispensable as well. Um, because to you and to me, probably, there is nothing I feel like that every day, no? Like my students, one of my students said something very beautiful. They said, you have a blue fire inside you. Uh -huh. I don't even know what, what that means, but they said, oh, you yeah. have a blue fire inside you. <laughs> uh, That's lovely. Uh, a lovely compliment. Yeah. And I, and I took it as, as the strength of purpose, right? Yes. I'm an adult. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm 36 years old. I don't think that there is anything that anybody could tell me to deter me from my purpose. Yeah. Well, my life's mission. Yeah. And I will work on it on the next three decades. <laughs> but when I see some of my students, 14, 15, 16, mm. right? Because so many times, you know, the dreaming heart, the dreaming mind of, of the, you know, the student, uh, it, before it gets to be a very strong tree, you know, that it's difficult to move in terms of their per the strength of their purpose. Yeah. I remember students telling me, like, I went out of that classroom in tears because an adult told me that this was not possible, that wow. changing the world was not something that was your right or that you're crazy. No, we got to take care of that. Yeah, we have to. I think it's within our reach. I it's really think that it's within our reach. Uh, <sighs> and I will call for any district in the world, you know, that wants to tackle that challenge at a system level. Yeah. Um, I think that... that uh, I've never felt in the last decade that there was a time for this kind of change as now. Yeah. For this wow. substantial paradigm change. I, I like this um I like this reflection, Franco. The time was always now. But it just happens that we're in this now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. You know, it's like how how, you know, I love a, a mentor of mine, Tony Mackay, often tells me, he says, We are the people we've been waiting for. It's a lovely sentiment, you know, and you know Tony as well. It's this idea. We're the people we've been waiting for. So let's go for it. Let's create. Um, Franco, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your passion, that blue flame that burns so brightly <laughs> inside you, mate. And I'm, I guess what a gift. What a gift to be able to help other people find that flame within themselves um, through your work at Enseña Peru and and more broadly. I look forward to following the progress, mate, and one day seeing it and contributing to it in person there. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us for the Learning Future podcast and all the best for the journey. Thank you so much, Luca, for having me. Uh, and as we say in, in Peru, seguimos. We continue. Seguimos. Así es. Gracias, amigo. <laughs>